This is an OSV Podcast Network production. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com. Welcome to Season 2 of Revive, where we explore how to renew and revive your faith. Our goal with each episode is for you to leave feeling equipped to bring Christ's love to the world. I'm your host, Tim Lumkowski, CEO of the National Eucharistic Congress. A special thank you to today's show sponsors, Relevant Radio and Knights of Columbus. Hello, everyone. My name is Tim Lumkowski. I'm the CEO of the National Eucharistic Congress. Uh, thank you for tuning in this week to Revive, where we explore how to renew and revive our faith in Jesus Christ. This is the official podcast, if you believe that, of the USCCB's National Eucharistic Revival. In this second season of the Revive podcast, we're having conversations with Catholic leaders, especially a lot of those who are connected to the National Eucharistic Congress this upcoming July, who are committed to helping you enkindle your missionary fire so that you can share the gifts of our Eucharistic Lord with others. It's a joy to have you joining us uh, listening in this week, and we hope that you're especially excited to hear from uh, our incredibly special guest today, Sister Josephine Garrett. So Sister um, Josephine Garrett, uh, we'll read her bio real quick before we bring her in, was born and raised Baptist in Houston, Texas. Uh, she earned a bachelor's in politics from the University of Dallas. Uh, shout out to uh, Dr. Sanford, who was a professor of mine in uh, in college, uh, a very tough philosophy professor who's now the president there, University of Dallas. And shortly thereafter, entered the Catholic Church. Sister Josephine served in the banking industry for 10 years, reaching the level of a vice president at her bank. In 2011, she began her religious formation with the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. Um, she's additionally a nationally certified and licensed counselor, specializing in trauma and the treatment of children and adolescents. And she serves as a Catholic school counselor in Tyler, Texas. She's on the board of directors for the Labore Society and Life Team. And she's an author, the author of a book called Hope, an Invitation, and host of the Hope Stories podcast. Sister Josephine, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. Your title, CEO of the National Eucharistic Revival, that you could spend a whole week in silent retreat prayer about such a thing. Like, I think what does I would, it, it would, mean? It would yeah. leave me with uh, too much fear and trembling. I had a, uh, a friend who said, you're the CEO of the Eucharist. And I said, I don't think that's really how that works, but. Yeah. But the revival, yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. It's really no, beautiful. It's been a privilege, yeah. And we're just so grateful to have you um, joining us today for this conversation. There's so many places that I want to go. I mean, so one one of the kind of reasons I've been, this is the first time we've really been able to dig in and and kind of connect and, and meet each other. But um, a story, sort of how I, um, when I was coming on new into this role a couple of years ago, we were just starting to talk about like, who did we really feel like God was calling to speak to, especially these evening keynotes, these revival sessions. Now we call them at the National Eucharistic Congress. And around that time, someone had shared with me a talk you gave um, for Word on Fire. They had a really beautiful, like high quality sort of um, recording of it. And um, I remember I watched it, it was just like absolutely floored. And I was like, I don't know who else needs to, but I know that's, that she is uh, being invited to to speak there. And so now you're our night on healing Friday night, you're kind of one of our, you know, the, the main revival sessions in the stadium. So it, it's a real honor to get to kind of have this conversation with you. I'm glad to get to know you too. I've been um, in my conversations with folks who are ministering at the revival. All of you have been in my prayers. And so I've known who you are. I've been praying for you. And so it is good to to see each other and to speak. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm it. excited. It's such an honor 
to be on the team, you know, on the team of folks who are going to be reflecting and sharing. And so I'm so excited. So yeah. excited. I don't know why I feel like you uniquely feel like part of the family or something. <laughs> I, I, I guess that's, I don't know if it's because of that's how it started for me, but I've, I really always thought of you as like a member of the team in a unique way. So that's, I guess I'm just excited to, yeah. Um, yeah. maybe you could start, I don't, I don't know if everyone, you know, probably a lot of folks know, but um, you have a pretty unique kind of, I mean, obviously your bio alone speaks to sort of a journey into religious life, but even into mm-hmm. Catholicism. And you have, I, my understanding is you have a pretty unique kind of story of how you got to where you are today. I'd love it if you kind of just helped us get to know Sister Josephine as we start. Sure. I'm going to do the like two minute, three minutes. Sure. That, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, yeah, grew up Baptist in Houston, Texas. And I love, I loved our church. It was Central Garden Missionary Baptist Church. And you know, everybody there was like, we were all related. And uh, I grew up with people, very charismatic environment, people being slain and the Holy Spirit and all that. I was not, I was a fanner. I was fanning people who were in the Holy Spirit. But, That's like an official um, role, right? Yeah, That's a, the, the paid, yes, yeah. the fanner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I went to University of Dallas uh, when it was time to go to college. I didn't know that it was Catholic when I enrolled. Like, yeah. I just did not understand that such a thing as a Catholic identity. Um, the school made a huge impression on me. Uh, we, if you go to UD, you have the opportunity to spend a semester in Rome. And so being there, we were before Pope John Paul II often. We had opportunities to really go and hear him preach. And that was huge for me. I didn't understand anything about the church or what a pope was, but I saw him like an incredible preacher. And I love to hear him talk about God. And so when I came back from Rome, I had a desire to continue to be proximate to what ever was going on when I would hear him preach. Mm-hmm. And so I joined a Latin liturgical choir at the school and we sang mass after mass after mass for years together. And I, when I graduated from UD, I was a little bit of a party girl in school. When <laughs> I graduated, um, I had a desire to be like the women who raised me, but I missed the mass. And so that led to me becoming Catholic with the support of my family. People will say like, there are worse things those kids can do than love Jesus. So they were excited for me. Um, and from there, I kind of thought, you know, that I was, I thought I was done doing God thing and was growing my career at the bank. And I had an opportunity to go back to Rome. Now as a Catholic, it had an incredibly meaningful confession uh, where, where the, I felt really challenged by the Holy Spirit to be more sincere in my service in the church and more intentional about myself as a gift and the process of self-donation. And so I had a great confession and was encouraged in that confession. I came back, I got a spiritual director, I learned to pray, um, was taught how to pray. And the fruit of that prayer was a call to religious life. And that was a little rockier for my family. Uh, <laughs> Catholic. But they've now, you know, they love the sisters now, but it was a process and the sisters love them. And so I entered formation. I did not enter formation with a certainty that I would be a sister. You know, sometimes I'll hear young women say, I've known since I was four years old that I would be a sister. That was not me. I was kind of like, we're going to go in here and see what happens and <laughs> figure it out a day at a time. I love so, it. Um, yeah, so now I've been, this will be my 13th year in the community here. I don't 
I mean, the idea of me being anything other than a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth, I can't imagine. And yeah. so uh, that's the that's the story. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, your hand is on that plow now. You're solemnly <laughs> professed, and yeah. And what I'd be interested to hear. It strikes me in your story. I mean, there are a lot of things strike me, but um, just that experience, even of John Paul, that I think a lot of people had. That there was even to this day when I watch even like YouTube videos of him. There's something that just leaps in my heart listening to him mm-hmm. talk. Mm-hmm. What was that like, I guess, hearing from it? Like, have you thought back on sort of what it was about him that struck you um, in that time at UD? There was, I was captivated. There was a sweetness to him. Mm. Uh, he seemed sweet. And uh, it's not the right word. It's the closest word I can get to what I want to say. It's not an affective state. It was more like something endearing. Um, so I guess attractive, you know, in a sweet kind of way and profound but simple so there wasn't anything that he was saying in his preaching this wasn't true about his writing but in his preaching um there was a simplicity that ran alongside uh great profoundness that was very attractive to me uh definitely his joy uh and it it i felt like a daughter right away upon encountering him and i think that as well uh, captivated me. And so, I mean, it made no sense. Like I, you know, again, in college was not markedly religious, but found myself waking up at three or four in the morning to make sure that I could catch the 5 a.m. bus to get by to St. Peter's by six and be on a good road, you know, to be able to hear him preach. And so uh, it was like, a, it was mysterious. Um, it was a mysterious kind of captive, captivated and I think it boils down to holiness, you know, perceiving holiness in him, but not um, but not having words for it at the time. I can tell you now, sometimes when people will put his voice over a track, like a lot of times people will like to put his voice over it, my heart catches when I hear it, and I yeah. immediately want to cry. Yeah. So it is like the voice of the shepherd, you know, you yeah. kind of hear it and you know it. There was this video a few years ago where they put Tyle Cruz's Dynamite was the, mm-hmm. the background track for like John Paul talks and okay. they like, they like dubbed it. This is a ridiculous video. It's on YouTube. Someone should go find it. Um, <laughs> we should put it in the show notes or something, Tanner. It's like they dub, you know, like how you can like auto tune things so that he's actually, it sounds like he's singing to that tune. Yeah. And I remember watching it and I like started crying. Yeah. And it's like, okay. it's just his voice. And it's like, this is Thank the most you ridiculous. For saying that because I would feel crazy. Like why am I crying? There's but, something about, I don't, I, I think. Yeah, I think certain people, I think probably he was calling out to you in a particular way too, or like, uh, this is actually, well, we can cut this out if we need to, but I, I actually had a priest one time who um, had some like spiritual gifts that were sort of unique. And he shared with me a like maybe dream or vision or sort of prophecy kind of moment mm-hmm. experience that he had in prayer where he felt like... Um, uh, he had a, an image of John Paul II who was putting like a piece of his charism or a piece of his heart and his gifting in all of these different people. And that was like part of how they were sort of, you know, like the gift that he'd given to the church and his legacy was going to be pushed forward. And it's possible that maybe just you're one of those people or something, you know, that a little bit, he, he has a particular connection to your life. I don't know. I'm not, that's not, I'm I not getting that, that in prayer. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I tell people when I get to heaven, I'm going to find him and I'm going to say, the girl, like I'm your daughter. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I definitely it. feel a part of his lineage, like his legacy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah beautiful. 
Sister, one of the things I'd love to hear you talk about in a particular way, because I do think, I mean, your book's on hope. You have this lens for, um, I feel like a, in a, a particular gifting for maybe that prophetic gifting for sort of saying, you know, what what is kind of going on in the world and in the church right now. And I think one of the places that that's, I've seen that really operative is you did a video for us. We sent down we were trying to help capture, because we get asked all the time, you know, why, why a Eucharistic Congress? Like we get the Eucharistic revival. A lot of people don't believe, don't have a relationship with Jesus and the Eucharist. Um, so a revival makes sense, this grassroots initiative. But why did it, why did the movement need a moment? Like why was there an event? And so we mm-hmm. sent down a camera crew to just like ask you that question and have you talk. And my understanding of the story, the way it was related to us, I don't know if this is 100% true, was like, Basically, you just talked for like two minutes and then they just like turned like snip snip made that into a video like it was like first take and you just but you articulated something that I think a lot of us have felt that who are working on the Congress but haven't been found a way to say which is that like what God is doing through this event is is so much more than just like a nice gathering of Catholics but it's actually part of this renewal work he's doing in our country and in, in a nation that's so divided and broken in so many different ways and um, I guess I just would, I'd, I'd be interested to hear you speak into that a little bit, like where that conviction came from for you. I, where the conviction came from is a mystery. So it will be difficult to answer the question. I know that when they were coming, I was given that question, like why a Congress? And it, to me, as I sat with it and prayed with it, what kept coming was, I don't know that I understand why the question, I don't know that it's the appropriate question. You know, it is, this is upon us, either through the active or permissive will of God. And so in that case, our question is better placed to be, how am I called to respond? And when I reflected on the word Congress, it's etymology, it's escaping me now, but it is at its root, about a gathering, you know, gathering together of people. And the Eucharistic Lord in and of himself is a gathering force. I think that's what Bishop Barron talks about in one of his books, that the work of the Eucharist in the world is to knit us together in, in Christ himself, you know, to be returning to the Father as Christ returns to the Father so that we can go where he goes and where he has went, you know, go with him. And so to come together in prayer, like I think it's important for people to see the Congress as a moment of deep prayer and not so much an event. And so to come together incarnationally as the body of Christ, those who are called, you know, I don't think it's fair to say everybody got to come, everybody ain't got to come. But it's for those who are called and called for a particular reason to come together in an incarnational way, face to face in this moment of prayer And to receive, like you were saying about your friend with Pope St. John Paul II, to receive our portion of the mission and then to go from there um, and to fulfill the will of the Father. And so I think this was prayer. I mean, it really began in walking away from the question that was not the right question. And towards the question, I think that's more connected and coming from the Holy Spirit that then flowed from that. Instead of asking why, 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 and more so asking how, like how, what it, what am I called to do? And the fruit of that was to see this as a tremendous gift from God for us to have been given 
the been given the blessings to be able to come together in this moment in this way uh, to pray together in a profound way to receive the graces that we desperately need to receive um, and, to, and to bring that back uh, into our local churches. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In St. Meinrid's graduate theology program, lay students are transformed through prayer and study to become servant leaders in today's church. In a welcoming community, St. Meinrad offers a quality theological education that is both flexible and affordable. Pursue your MA or certificate in theology via weekend and online offerings. Graduate theology at St. Meinrad. Study theology for today's church. Learn more at stmeinrad.edu slash OSV. Yeah, you have a, an insight into that or a perspective that I just think is, yeah, really powerful. And, and it, it speaks so well, so many of the things that we've felt convicted about. And so I'm just like grateful for that. I think you're right. Like this isn't necessarily, it's not a, a million people, you know, like it's, there's a, there's a, a, a portion of the body of Christ that's being called together almost in a certain sense, like in proxy or for like the sake of the whole, like this, this national gathering where some of us are being called to come together, but the impact of it is supposed to ripple far beyond that. And it's almost like these moments in my mind of like Ezra and Nehemiah in the old Testament, like rebuilding the temple and the people of God coming together. And it's um, like, it's, it's, I actually was having a conversation with somebody the other day where he said, you know, what percentage of people do you think at the Congress are going to, like not believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And I was like, maybe one, you know, like that's not really the point of this gathering. This is a moment of renewal for the church. Like you said, a time of prayer, not an event, but a, a sort of a happening, a spiritual happening um, mm. on behalf of the church in the United States. And it's, but it's for people who like long for that, like long for that renewal and long for a depth of that relationship and to go deeper themselves, experience deeper healing themselves, mm. but then also to like, um, you know, participate in the spiritual work of God. So it's almost like you said, like how, like I almost think of Mary, like how will this be? Like that's how it always feels to me. Is like the, the how question is like, what is the Lord doing? Like, how will this be more than just like, yeah. Why? Yes. I love that. To look at Mary's question. And I also want to encourage like those of us who have been given this opportunity to be there, to consider ourselves as stewards. So, you know, that we really look at ourselves as stewards and again, challenge ourselves, like, how will I steward this gift? How am I called? I think that's the more pressing question. Yeah, beautiful. Well, we can't wait for your talk. It's going to be um, amazing. Yeah, Friday night, July 19th. So if you're listening, start praying for Sister Josephine. Uh, Please. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, is it the 19th or the 18th? I need these prayers, so I need you to get the day right. Is it the 19th or the 18th? I think you are speaking on July 19th. I could okay. double check with our team, but if you come on the 18th, we'll find a spot for you for sure. But I think it's the 19th. Okay, okay I do. I would, I would be very grateful for prayer. I just really want to like do well, God's will. So yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Father Father Mike is the 18th. You're the 19th, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, there we go. Tanner's showing it. Yeah, day three, Friday, July 19th. <laughs> the 19th. Yeah. Friday is a good day. Oh, yes, yeah. because the theme had been into Gethsemane and it's Friday. And I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. You know, kind of yeah. healing that we'll focus on that day. And, um, you know, kind of along those lines, like I think your work as, you know, um, 
would you call yourself like a, a therapist? Probably was that the right word or, you mm-hmm. know, um, just with adolescence and, you know, um, I think probably uniquely positioned to see a lot of the impact of like the culture in the world in people's hearts and their minds right now. And, um, but you also write books on hope, you know, like that's the name of you. So I, I'd love to hear kind of for you, like how that sort of emerged as a particular message that you wanted to share kind of with the church right now or why you felt called that. My attraction to the message of hope started. So I got a spiritual director when I got back from that trip to Rome and was trying to foster my faith. And he, it was a lull in our conversation. And he asked me what my greatest hope was. And at that time I was at the bank and I just wanted to make more money. Then I wanted my career to flourish more, you know, so I wanted a title and a car and a house and the things. And that's how I answered his question. He challenged me. He was like, no, but I mean, what's your greatest hope? And I was like, I answered your question already. Why are you asking it to me again? And he he a challenged a bigger, yeah, a bigger, yeah. like even larger. That's where I get this one. And so I remember feeling I cried when I realized I wasn't answering his question the right way. And it was so good because it set me about answering the question, trying to pray and find the answer to the question. Like, what did God make me for? And do I have the courage to hope for that when it's not yet here? And so that entered me into like, I guess, years long reflection of all of us, you know, being in an ongoing experience of hope for the fulfillment of the resurrection in us and the difficulties with that. And I think where we go when we can no longer or struggle to tolerate the difficulty of waiting for what we hope for in all kinds of various ways, but ultimately like our longing for the resurrection. And so I know, like I, when I look at my own life and my own faith journey, the things that have tripped me up or have become stumbling blocks for me, in many cases, they were the struggle and the difficulty to wait you know, mm-hmm. for the dawn of the resurrection in any area of my life that was a struggle. You know, I see that in the counseling room, like, and I, yeah. I'm so proud of my clients and so uh, inspired by them because it takes great hope to walk into a counseling room because you do not know when this presenting concern will be better. Mm-hmm. You know, when you will experience renewal in it and how long you will need to sit in this pain before the healing that you hope for comes because we we open ourselves to receive healing and we do the work we need to do, but ultimately it's God's prerogative, like the timing and the means and the way it takes so much um, faith and courage um, to continue to hope. And so I guess, yeah, in my own healing and um, facing my struggles and the various stumbling blocks that were my repeat offender stumbling blocks and then I learned that, I had to be courageous to be a woman of hope um, and to tolerate the space in between what I long for and its arrival. And so that's where that was really came from. And yeah, and so my final vows mystery, when I was choosing it, it has a theme of hope. I tell people if I was a simpler person, my final vows mystery just would have been Our Lady of Hope. But instead, it's I'm not simple. I'm, I can be overly complex sometimes. And so oh, right. it's instead um, 
uh, the espoused mother of our Eucharistic King is my final vows mystery uh, because I see Mary as our teacher in learning to hope well and to hope with joy and expectancy that the promises of God will be fulfilled. And so as, as she is spouse of the spirit, she labors yet today but with us. This is from St. Augustine until we're born into heaven. And so I think, you know, she's our model. So as spouse mother of our Eucharistic King, so as we wait, as we hope, uh, we fix our eyes on Christ in the Eucharist, who is the presence before us and in us, who is bringing about that what we hope for. So wow. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> and if it, it does answers it, like 30 questions I have. So that's, it does I, think, yeah. <laughs> I need an hour to, to process that. But I think what's powerful about what you're, what you're sharing is um, just that, like, I feel like it's those moments that really test like the, the link between hope and faith, even that like, like what you're saying is like the things unseen, you know, like yeah. God is powerful enough and present enough that he will bring, even if it's in the next life, you know, but, but often here, right. Like, but there is a time in which he's, he's going to bring redemption or healing or, um, you know, what, but that there's a, um, but the waiting period is where the hope is needed to sort of say, mm-hmm. just because it hasn't come yet, doesn't mean that he's, it's, he's not any of those things that he's not present or that he's not all powerful or that he's not, mm-hmm. um, at work. No, he's not at work. Like he's working. And so it's been so, over, it's just been, over time, slowly over time, I've been more and more captivated um, with reflecting on hope. So it was exciting to write the book. I think when they first approached, they asked me to write a memoir. And I was like, I'm not writing a memoir. Uh, I'm not going to be like, you know, Sophia from Golden Girls picture. Like, I'm not doing it. Uh, so. You're our first Golden Girls reference in it on this podcast so far. And that's a, sh- that's a shame. That's a shame. It's too, it's, we're, we're too many episodes in for that. We're too many episodes in that I have referenced the Golden Girl. Um, but then it was like, well, what about reflecting on a theme and sharing stories from my own life, like my own witness from that? And I actually really love like sharing the faith and evangelism through storytelling. I think that's very connected to the first century yeah. um, followers of Christ. So like what we have seen and heard and touched and looked upon. So I love telling stories to help convey spiritual realities. And I love the theme of hope. And so that's kind of where the compromise came. But, you know, to share my own story while reflecting on hope in various scenes and topics. I love that. I love to find the through line of hope in the small of it. Where can folks just, just to, where can folks get your book? Amazon or our Sunday visitor who produced okay. this podcast. Yes, oh, was published with OSV. Yeah. Thank you to OSV. They're going to love me for that question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So Amazon or OSV.com. Uh, you can get Sister Josephine's book. Sister, do you mind? I have like a few questions. Um, I was thinking the way we could kind of end this uh, conversation. We have about five minutes left. Would be, okay. um, I'm going to ask you like five questions and like kind of um, almost like a bit of a rapid fire round. Is that okay? Yes, I will be brief. I can do it. <laughs> but but not like not like a um you can like rapid fire, not like you don't need any like one word answers, but like I'm just gonna do I'm gonna rattle off five at the end here because I've I have a okay. lot of thoughts or a lot of directions and not enough time. Okay. Um, all right. So first, uh when did you first know that um Jesus in the Eucharist was real? Like that it was actually him. 
I was at one of those conferences that the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal used to put on, uh, Youth 2000. I was a chaperone, and uh, they did an Eucharistic processional, and my prayer was like, this is the king. Like, that's the king. And so that's when I knew. It was probably 2008. It was actually, no, it was early 2009. January, so you were Catholic February. already? Uh, yes, I was Catholic. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that, that real awareness, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. What's one thing you wish people knew about religious life, especially maybe young women? I wish that young women knew that religious life, like the parts of yourself that you really love the most, like the good ones, that God isn't going to throw those in the trash, but like those unique aspects of who you are, he's going to enhance them and they're going to flourish and they're going to be like devoted to his kingdom. I think sometimes we think we'll lose ourselves in religious life, but it's not a losing, it's a finding. And so... Um, I'm still crazy as a religious sister, but like, I'm crazy for the Lord. <laughs> like I didn't lose these parts of my cells that, you know, were unique to me and unique to my personality that I thought would go away and I would just become like a, a clone nun doll. It's not, that's not what this is. So. Did you ever have a phase where you tried that? And realize it didn't work? Do, do you ever feel like some of us, like I had a phase where I felt like I, I thought holiness meant that. And so I really like tried the, the St. Doll model. And then I realized it didn't work. And then I had to find a new path. Or did you just always? I mean, even if I tried to, I'm, I am, um, I never <laughs> have been able to handle them that much discipline. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> It's a girl. Here you go. I love it. Um, okay, so um, yeah, sorry, third question. As a, in your work, as a therapist, um, what's something you wish people knew kind of about, you know, healing or resilience or um, sort of navigating the world and the culture today? Like what's something you keep coming back to um, in your work there? The counseling room is a joyful place. Uh, especially because I, I specialize, one of my specialties is trauma. And so I think sometimes people think counseling is always hard and never joyful. But like when we surrender to the process of healing, like there is joy. It's it's um, it's like a, a bittersweetness. So definitely it's difficult. Like the process of cleaning wounds has pain. And then there's also relief. And so I just wish that people would think more often and the list of first things they think about when they think of growing and resiliency and therapy and healing, I wish oftentimes the list of the first things that folks think of would include joy. I don't think that's enough, but we have a lot of joy in the counseling room. Um, we have a lot of joy through tears. And I also wish that people would stop creating dichotomies between um, difficulties and joy or joy and sadness. It's not so dichotomous. It's more intermingled. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like the, wow. It's not, joy's not just like the destination when all the, like every kink has been worked out, but it's yeah. possible in the journey too. To, mm-hmm. to healing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, well, we need to do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is the worst rapid fire round ever. I'm sorry. Um, all right. Next one. Um, uh, what, where are you being fed right now? Like, is there a particular devotion or book or, you know, kind of theme the Lord keeps bringing up in prayer, like just where you, where you being, where you finding fruit right now in, in the interior life? I'm being really fed right now because our province is in the middle of a chapter. And so we're all coming together to collectively pray about 
where God is calling us collectively as a group of sisters in the United States and who our next leaders will be. And so I'm a younger nun, so this is my first time to be eligible to be a delegate, and the sisters elected me to be one of their delegates. And so being able to pray in this way with the sisters, I've never prayed this way before with the sisters, you know, as their delegate, trying to hear what the Holy Spirit is doing for us, you know, not just for me and trying to represent the sisters well is just really enriching my vocation and like knitting me even more deeply into like my, you know, into Nazareth. We call our community as a nickname kind of Nazareth. And so that's just feeding me so much right now, um, serving our chapter, answering these difficult questions, having courageous conversation, um, you know, taking seriously discerning God's will for us. It's, it's a lot of what is, is my prayer life is filled with right now. And over these days, we've been reflecting on Samuel, first Samuel, and my um, Samuel, particularly like where he has to anoint David. And in that, having to surrender what he thinks about who the king ought to be and like put, like, so that's also been in my prayer, like putting away assumptions and, um, listening closely, particularly as God may be calling us in different directions that are not like they were in the past. And so hmm. I've been looking at that personally, but also communally among the sisters and, and just being so grateful to be a member of the congregation. So, yeah. Yeah. What a, what an honor and a responsibility to beautiful. Yeah. yeah. We'll be praying for you kind of as you're Thank you. continuing to navigate that. Um, Thank you. Last, I thought we could end on this note. Um, where are you finding hope right now? I am finding hope. I really, the first thing that came to my mind, I find so much hope in working with parents. Uh, it's hard being a parent. And I, I never thought I'd love so much serving parents as a counselor. So that is probably one of the key places. There's lots of places where I'm finding hope, but that's one of the key places is working with parents and receiving their vulnerabilities and, you know, having the honor of walking with them in the areas where they're vulnerable. Um, it's just so beautiful to see how parents hope for their kids and how much they want to do more and be better for their kids. And I love it. I love being able to enter in close to families in that way. So beautiful. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It pulls things out of you that you didn't expect. Maybe I could steal, yeah. uh, you know, a quick Sister Josephine nugget. But we're, you know, we, we have four <laughs> young kids, and um, yeah. we certainly feel that we 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 feel like we're um, just entering into that next. Uh, season of parenting where it's it's not just like like the little kids right it's it's physically exhausting as you're up all night <laughs> and you're um and you're like you know it, you're just on the go all the time like your body hurts at the end of the day right because you're just mm -hmm. like it just takes a lot out of you now we're entering into like the school age you know like the the issues are a little more complex more like emotionally complex and maybe you know less physically exhausting all that stuff so um, any advice for us kind of as we, so we're eight to eight months. That's our range. Eva's eight. Okay. And then eight months is Veronica. And then we have two boys in the middle. Theo mm -hmm. and Charlie are, are, uh, six and four. What advice do you have for us as young, young parents? So I, I would say for young parents is a big part of your role is to form your children and, um, and relationships. So like the way that we image God is in our call to community and to relationship. And so I always 
The thing I say most often to parents is if I had to choose between the parent who never got it wrong or the parent who got it wrong a lot but repaired well, I would choose the second parent every day of the week and twice on Sunday because that parent has really taught their child uh, the dynamic between us and God, you know, mm-hmm. that we have this opportunity to come back and repair and reconcile and apologize. And so to not be focused on being parents who get it right all the time, but be focused on parents model well for your children, repairs. Um, and then also, I think sometimes parents become very uncomfortable when their kids experience difficult emotion. Um, but I said this today to parents that I met with, that your child is having a normal response to an abnormal experience. And while I know their emotions are uncomfortable for you, they are appropriate. And so to not necessarily always be seeking to take away all their negative emotions, um, but to just make space space for them. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. That's, there's a lot. Yeah. There's, there's, it, that is, it's so true as a parent, you have that feeling all the time of like, well, I've already screwed it up. So we just start. We, we always, the way we, me and my wife put it is we just, we just, we start the therapy funds now. You know what I mean? It's like, we're just putting 401k, 503b, and probably yeah. Sister Josephine fund. We'll put that to the side now. So Repair well. That's Repair it. well with your kids. You know, apologize to your kids when you need to. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm yeah. actually, that's actually like, I, I take that to heart so well, because that's, that's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of banking on that being the key. So yeah, it's yeah. like, at least I'm, I'm never going to get it right, but at least I can apologize. So, mm-hmm. um, well, sister, this has just been an incredibly rich, uh, chance to get to know you a little better and hear some of your story. So honored that like, you know, our audience who's engaged in the Eucharistic revival, parish leaders, diocesan leaders, and also folks coming to the Congress who are going to join us on the national Eucharistic pilgrimage. We didn't even get to that. I mean, that's a whole oh other gosh. thing that we're going to like, you know, uh, this, this moment, we just, I'm so honored that they get to hear from you in your heart. We're going to hear from you in a, a big way and very public way six months from now. So each of us is committing to praying for you for that. Um, but you. to hear a little bit of who you are in your story in advance of that, gosh, what a privilege. I'm excited. I just want to thank everyone. Like you said, all the ministry leaders who are involved, uh, and especially those pilgrims who are going to bring Jesus across this country. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so again, very excited. Thank you, sister. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Revive. For more on the National Eucharistic Revival, visit eucharisticrevival.org. And to register to join us and Sister Josephine Garrett for the 10th National Eucharistic Congress this July 17th through 21st, 2024 in Indianapolis, Indiana, please visit eucharisticcongress.org. We've got multiple opportunities to register, to receive scholarships, you can see our speakers, our different tracks, our schedule there. Don't miss this generational moment uh, where Jesus in the Eucharist is going to heal, form, convert, and unify us as a church so that we can be sent out on mission for the life of the world. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day. God bless. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In St. Meinrid's graduate theology program, lay students are transformed through prayer and study to become servant leaders in today's church. In a welcoming community, St. Meinrad offers a quality theological education that is both flexible and affordable. Pursue your MA or certificate in theology via weekend and online offerings. Graduate theology at St. Meinrad. Study theology for today's church. Learn more 
at stmeinrad.edu slash OSV. This has been a production of OSV Podcasts. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com.